0: Hey, folks, Andy Patton here. The Zags host the Merrimack Warriors of the Northeast Conference on Thursday. Today, we will preview what that game might look like, how that team might try to stop the Zags before taking a look around the conference for WCC Wednesday. Right here, Locked On Zags. Don't miss it. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Lockdown Zag Podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, ready to take you through what has already been a substantially more interesting season of Gonzaga hoops. I want to thank all of you who listen to the show, especially those who make this your first listen of the day. I know some of you have been listening to my content for a very long time. Some of you are much newer to the show. Either way, sincerely appreciate you investing in what I have to say about this team. Also, for those of you who have subscribed to the YouTube channel, thank you so much for being a part of that community. I sincerely appreciate it. It is a lot of work to do the YouTube and the podcast, and I love every single second of it, but it has made so much more fun knowing that you guys are out there listening to the show. So if you listen to it on YouTube or if you listen to it on here, either way, search YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags, hit that subscribe button. We're very, very close to our goal Cannot wait to get there and celebrate with all of you. All right, so today, first segment, we're talking Merrimack. We're talking about this game on Thursday, what is expected to be a bit of a tune-up game, although I know there are some Gonzaga fans out there who are perhaps a little bit nervous after the Tarleton State game last week. Then in the second two segments, we're, of course, going to look through the WCC, look at what the conference has done in the past week. Let's start off. The Merrimack Warriors are in the Northeast Conference. If you're looking for some teams that might have familiar names to you in that conference, good luck. <laughs> Wagner, Bryant, Fairleigh, Dickinson is in that conference. A couple of the teams that have been pretty good. Merrimack is in their third season of playing Division One basketball. I put in my notes that they would have gone to the NCAA tournament in the 2019-2020 season, but COVID prevented that. I realized that as a first-year Division One member, they probably were not going to go to the NCAA tournament anyway, but they did Win the Northeast Conference that season. They did win the conference tournament. They had a great season this year. Not as much success, not as much success last year as well, but still for a first year Division I team to be in the thick of things in their conference is pretty impressive as well. As of right now, there are 238. In Ken Palm, so one of many Gonzaga opponents that is outside the top 200 among Division One schools. Uh, the Ken Palm really likes their defense, though, has them ranked 115th in the country. And looking at the statistics, they have held their opponents to just 58 points per game. Obviously, the opponent quality is a factor there as well. They have not played a lot of high-profile Division One teams. They did play Virginia Tech and got smoked, 72 to 43. In that game, they did lose to Rutgers in what must have just been a horrific game to watch. The final score between Merrimack and Rutgers was 48-35, to which leads me to my next point. As you might have guessed from those two scores for Merrimack of 43 and 35 points, they are a very bad offensive team. This is their biggest struggle. The fact that they play good defense is interesting, and we'll talk about that a little bit later and what that means for Gonzaga. But at the end of the day, this team really struggles to put the ball through the hoop. They're shooting 39.7% from the field, just under 32% from three at this point. Just not a team that has really had a lot of success finding the hoop, which turns out is going to be a big factor for them all season long, especially against an opponent like Gonzaga, who while their defense has not been as good the last couple games as it has been in the first couple games at least, uh, is still a team that's that's not easy to score on, in particular if you're not shooting very well up to this point. Uh, their star player is Jordan Miner. He's averaging fourteen points, six point seven rebounds and 2.1 blocks per game. In fact, Merrimack is actually very high on the list of total blocks per game as a team. I think they were in the top 60 in the country for a school that is outside the top 200 and basically every other category to be top 60 in blocks is pretty interesting. Miner is their tallest player which is an important caveat he is also 6 foot 8 <laughs> tallest play- like not just tallest rotation player straight up tallest guy on the roster is 6 foot 8 yes he's a good shot blocker and good shot blockers can block shots of bigger players it's not like that's unknown to happen but i suspect that their blocks per game average will go down after they play gonzaga that is my my expectation in this game speaking of gonzaga the main things that i want to see out of this game i'm not going to do the full five things to watch like i normally do uh, honestly, the biggest things is Merrimack, is, they're probably going to try to do what every other team the last three games has done. They want to control the tempo. They want to control the pace. They want to make Gonzaga react to them. And for the last three games, Gonzaga, whether it's coaching, whether it's players, whether it's a mix of both, likely the third one, has seemed to let the opposing team dictate the pace of the game, the kind of the style of the game, and has just been reactionary particularly against Alabama, Gonzaga really just reacted to what they were doing. So much so that I thought a very odd substitution pattern, which I hadn't gotten a chance to talk to in the last couple games, was when Alabama went with their really small lineup. And that seemed to be when they took Chet out and really went with a small lineup as well. Seemed like that might have been an opportunity to kind of zig while they zag, for lack of a better term, and try something different. But for some reason, the, the staff seemed to be Fairly reactionary in that game. We saw them be very reactionary against Tarleton State. It was very surprising to see a team that didn't have the pedigree of Duke or Alabama come in and kind of dictate what they wanted to do on the floor. Merrimack almost certainly is going to attempt to do that. That's what all teams do. They don't have the offensive talent to, I think, really bore a lot of points. On Gonzaga, so I don't really expect it to be. I don't expect this game to go like the Tarleton State game. I think that I, I want to make that very clear. I think Gonzaga will win by a substantial total points than they did in that game because this team is not good at scoring the basketball. But that doesn't mean it'll be a, just a complete win for the Zags. Even if they win this game by a fair amount, if they st- are still being passive, still letting the opposing team, in this case the Warriors, kind of dictate the offense, run what they want to run, play the kind of defense that they want to play and Gonzaga seems like they're just reacting to that as opposed to going out and setting the tone and doing what they want to do and forcing the opposing team to react, that's going to be alarming to me. That's going to be concerning to me. I'm not saying I expect that to happen. I'm saying that's the first thing that I'm going to be looking for is who sets the tone in this game. It's a question we've almost never had to ask about opponents like Merrimack. I don't mean disrespect to them, but Gonzaga plays these types of teams multiple times every single season, and we've never had to wonder who's going to set the tone of the game. So it's it's kind of an odd spot that we're in. I talked with Stephen on yesterday's show. For those of you who missed it, check it out. A wonderful conversation with former host of the Locked on Zags podcast, Stephen Carr. And we talked about how A, the fans, the Gonzaga community has been a little bit spoiled by how great the team last year got out of the shoots. We thought that team might struggle a little bit. Jalen Suggs, Joe Eliai, all those guys hit the ground running and were successful right away. So it makes it harder to stomach that this team did not do that, has not done that, especially because they look like they were on that track after the Texas and UCLA victories and have sputtered since then. But I think there's still room for this team to obviously grow. Plenty of room for that to happen. This is the kind of game where it, it's an easy tune-up game in theory. It's the kind of game where even if they try some new stuff, even if they do go through lulls that are kind of a little concerning, as long as they're continuing to get better and find their identity, something that they have yet to find this season. They haven't found their identity on really on offense or defense. They've, they've shown flashes of different identities. They've showed the high-low offense. They've showed this really pounded-into-the-paint type of offense. They've showed some flashes of, of getting out in transition a ton. And then defensively, obviously, they've shown flashes of being really elite on that end of the floor, really good at getting into the passing lanes. They've showed some half-court crap stuff. They just haven't gotten consistency. It's really early in the season on a roster with a lot of young players and new players to the team. So it's kind of the thing that, for most of Gonzaga's history, you would expect. I know that it's a little bit more challenging to deal with after, like I said, the Texas and UCLA games and the expectations that are weighed upon this program from last season. But for this game specifically, I want to see Gonzaga's guards be more aggressive. This is part of their identity that they seem to have lost, notably in the Alabama game, where they weren't looking for their own shots, they weren't looking to drive to the basket. Gonzaga's guards finish around the rim really well, like better than most teams in the country. This is a carryover from last year as well. They were really good at that. Jalen Suggs, Joel Yai, Corey Kispert, outstanding at finishing around the rim. And Andrew Nempard, too, and he's back, and he has been great at finishing around the rim, but we saw him be far more hesitant and deferential in the Alabama game. Same with receiver Bolton, same with basically every guard on the roster not named Nolan Hickman who didn't get a ton of opportunities but did seem to take advantage of them in that contest. So that's a big thing that I want to see in this game. I think Chet is going to have an outstanding performance. I'm really I'm betting the house on Chet Holmgren on Thursday against Merrimack. They don't have a lot of size. They have not experienced a player of his caliber. I think he's going to come out and have a really, really good one. Those of you who are on Chet Holmgren triple-double watch Thursday against Merrimack, really good time for that to potentially happen for him. And then, of course, the last thing I'm looking for in this one is not only for the Zags to put it away early, just for a lot of the fans to feel like they can breathe a little bit easier and enjoy their Thursday evenings, but so we can see some more of the younger players. One of the downfalls of these last couple games being close throughout is that we haven't gotten a chance to see any of Ben Gregg or Caden Perry. Caden's been, been injured. I don't know what his status is in terms of whether he'll be available to play on Thursday or not. It's unclear if he was available to play against Alabama, quite frankly, although he would not have gotten into... That game, but this is a good opportunity for Greg to play, for Caden Perry to play, for us to see a lot more of Hunter Salas, a player that I expect to see more as the season goes on, as he gets more developed and kind of loses some of that rawness and really finds his fit on this roster. I expect to see a lot of Nolan Hickman, but I think we're just going to see more of him as the season goes on. Anyway, he has continued to play even against the more difficult caliber opponents and even in the closer games like the Tarleton State ones. So. Would love to see more of those four guys. Would love to see Gonzaga put put this one out of the way early. Obviously, those are things we kind of expect from these games, and I know there are some people who might be a little more anxious about whether that's going to happen on Thursday or not. I expect it to. I'm mostly going to be looking for, even if they're up 15, 20, 25 points, are they still dictating the game? Are they still being aggressive, trying to find their shots? Are they just deferring to the same players they've always deferred to? And are we seeing... These players and, and the staff, are we seeing them make adjustments in ways that we didn't really see over the last couple of games? All right, quick primer on Gonzaga's Thursday opponent. Second segment, I'm going to get into WCC Wednesday. We're looking at how the other nine teams in the West Coast Conference have fared in the past week since we did this last. Before we get there, though, let's talk about prize picks. All right, college football fanatics, have you heard about prize picks? Prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love this app, and I know that you will, too. PricePix is a leader in college sports daily fantasy. They offer more college football props than anyone in the world and offer all the star players from not only the Power 5 schools, but your favorite mid-major programs as well. New users that deposit and use the promo code LOCKEDON will receive a 100% instant deposit match of up to $100. PricePix allows mixed sport entries, so you can take the over on Chet Holmgren combined with the under on Patrick Mahomes in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Don't hesitate. Check out prizepix.com and use promo code locked on or go to your app store and download the app today. Prizepix is daily fantasy made easy. All right, segment two. Still Andy Patton, still locked on. Zags pivoting away from previewing the Merrimack Warriors and Gonzaga's next opponent. On Thursday, instead, we're going to talk about the West Coast Conference, all of the games that have been going on. It's been, it was such a hot start for the conference. They were getting all sorts of national attention about could there be four, could there be five teams from the conference going into the NCAA tournament? Are they better than the Pac-12? Are they better than the ACC? Like challenging these really, really high-profile Power Five programs and conferences things have kind of fallen off a little bit for the WCC you may have noticed they haven't been getting as much of that attention certainly some of the programs and we'll talk about them notably San Francisco have have maintained their relevancy as a as a potential NCAA tournament team and legitimate top 25 threat. I thought the the Dons had a very real chance of being in the top 25 this last week. Unfortunately, they were not. Uh, but we've seen a lot of the teams that kind of had some, some early season momentum have sort of fallen by the wayside. Uh, first up is BYU, who has not fallen by the wayside necessarily. They are still 24th in the country, far from irrelevant, but they fell out of what was borderline a top 10 spot. Uh, because they went one and one in this past week, they got a win over Moorhead State. It wasn't a great game, but they did win. And then they lost to Utah Valley. They kind of they looked ugly the last few games. Quite frankly, you know, we've talked about this with Gonzaga, where they just seemed to kind of lose their identity and struggled against teams that they maybe shouldn't have struggled have uh, should not have struggled against. Excuse me. Although of course Duke and Alabama are are by no means bad <laughs> bad opponents. Certainly not on the level of of Utah Valley here, who uh, really exposed a lot of a lot of BYU's significant weaknesses. Uh, The biggest weakness for this team is that uh, only Alex Barcelo can shoot threes. You know, it's been talked about so much how great of an outside shooter Barcelo is, and that's very true. But the team shot six for 23 from three without him against Utah Valley. I mean, they really, really struggled. And if he doesn't have a good game, which he did not, he was one for four. So the team went seven for 27. If he does not have a good outside shooting night, the team just – Their offense kind of gets stagnant. They seem to struggle. And a a big part of that is that they don't have a lot of interior post-scoring presence. And part of that is because they suffered an injury early in the season to Richard Harward, and he's been out for the rest of the year. And then now Gavin Baxter for the third consecutive season. Is out for the rest of the year with an injury, really devastating for this young man. He just has not been able to stay on the floor. I remember writing about him for the slipper still fits four years ago, and about how he was going to be like the neck, one of the next big things for the BYU. And he just, he could have been, you know, <laughs> it's not, it's not like he disappointed. He just has not been able to stay healthy has had a myriad of, of different injuries to his lower body. So without him, without Howard. We really need to see if Caleb Lohner will step up. He was kind of the the irritating freshman last year, for those of you who may remember him. Uh, He's been okay this year, but he hasn't been great. He hasn't taken the step that I think a lot of people may have expected him to do. And now he's really going to be relied upon because they could kind of hide him with the two bigs. Now those guys are out. He really, really needs to step up and start doing some big things for the Cougars. Otherwise, they, they could potentially be into some trouble. They got Creighton on the 11th of this month, which is going to be a super fun game. 9 a.m. start on Saturday. Get your coffee ready, because that's going to be a really fun game to watch. Next up, San Francisco, the Dons, 9-0. Ken Palm has them 32nd. Last week, they were 36, so they have continued to creep up Ken Palm's rankings, and they have crept up the AP poll rankings. They have continued to get votes to be inside the top 25, have yet to actually crack the top 25, even though last week, They picked up a big win. UNLV is only 152nd in Kenpom, so it's not going to go down as like a huge victory. But they beat the tar out of them. They beat them by 21 points, and I think that (laughs) that should count for something. UNLV obviously is more of a school known for their basketball history rather than their recent basketball success. But that's still a pretty nice win for the Dons. Uh, They're also 9-0. There are not a lot of teams left in the country who are undefeated. When you get to that point, any team that is undefeated, you have to start considering them at least as a potential top 25 team. And frankly, I don't think San Francisco has done anything to not deserve being within the top 25. Uh, They have Fresno State coming up tomorrow or today when you're listening to this, most likely. Uh, They got Grand Canyon on the 18th. They got Arizona State on the 19th. None of those teams are great Grant, But if they win all three of them, there's absolutely no way they will not be ranked. Jamari Bouye is an absolute stud, potential NBA caliber guard talent. Khalil Shabazz, excellent as well. If you listened to Tuesday's episode with Stephen Carr, you know he thinks this is the team in the WCC most likely to actually upset Gonzaga because they have some size and they have really, really good big physical guards, which, as we know, has been Gonzaga's kryptonite so far this season. Next up, St. Mary's, the Gales, 8-2 on the year. Ken Palm has them 38th. They were 33rd last week. That is because they have gone 1-1 one and one since then. They beat Utah State, but only by 2, and then they lost to Colorado State by 16. Now, Colorado State, very good team, should absolutely be in the AP Top 25. Most other people who I read who co- cover college basketball think this is a Top 25, Top 20 team. So not a horrible loss. But St. Mary's, a top 30, top 40 team, should probably not be getting blown out by them necessarily. Uh, They looked pretty bad in that game. They shot four for 21 from three in that game. They shot 21 for 51 on the field, forty-two less than 42, 41.2% from the field against Colorado State. That's just not going to get it done. It's not going to get it done. And I think we've we've we all know what Randy Bennett offenses look like. We've seen them for years. Uh, they run this extremely slow play, so, slow pace. This is a great defensive team. This is probably the best Randy Bennett led defense that St. Mary's have has ever had. But the problem with their style is that you have to be hyper efficient because you don't get that many looks because you play so slow. You run out the clock. You don't get out in transition very often. So you have to make most of your shots. You have to make a high percentage of your shots. And for most of Randy Bennett's tenure, they have been able to do that. That's why they have been good. But when they struggle, they can lose to just about anybody. Again, Colorado State's not a bad loss, but you have to shoot better than that. They shot five for 20 from three against Utah State and only one by two against a not very good Utah State squad. They're not terrible, but they're not great. It's Tommy Cousy's been excellent. He's shooting 52% from three, but they rely on him to make a lot of outside shots in a way that if he struggles, it can really impact the whole team. It's somewhat similar to Alex Barcelo and the situation they have going on over there. The Gales got San Diego State on the 17th. They got Yale on the 28th. Two interesting games that I'm hoping to be able to watch uh, coming up for this team. And then finally for this segment, Santa Clara 6-3 on the year 84th. In Ken Palm, they were 85th last week. So basically maintaining their spot, uh, which makes sense since they are one and one since the last time we spoke. They got a win over Hawaii and lost to Louisiana Tech. This team really struggles defensively, and they've struggled on both ends of the floor with Yusup Yusuf out. He's out with Mono. That has really hurt this team. He's a really, really talented player. It was a big story when he decided to return to college for another season. It's unclear as of right now how long he's going to be out, but any time that he misses is going to continue to hamper this team's ability to build a potential tournament resume. Uh, they do have Jalen Williams, and he has been incredible. 20 points per game, 53, excuse me, 54.3% shooting, 38% from three. Three. just a really really good score a certified bucket that is what he is him and Frankage make an excellent pairing when he gets back and healthy they got Mount St. Mary's tonight by the time you're listening to this they will have played Mount St. Mary's hopefully they can pick up a victory there they got Cal on the 11th and Boise State on the 14th all right let's talk about the rest of the WCC the bottom half coming up in the third segment before we get there though let's talk about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever Plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Bill Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Bill Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Billbar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. Go to BillBar.com now and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's BiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15, for 15% off your first order. Today's episode is also sponsored by BetOnline. BetOnline is back and better than ever. BetOnline has a new web interface for the start of the NBA and college basketball seasons and features more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code locked On to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. All right, segment three. Still locked on Zag. still Andy Patton, still... WCC Wednesday, which means we're still going through the West Coast Conference and taking a peek at how these schools have done over the past week. We are just a few weeks away from the start of conference play, so it's nice to get a sense of what these opponents are going to look like. Next up is LMU, the Loyola Marymount Lions. They are 110th on Ken Palm. They were 104th last week, 5-3 on the season. They earned themselves a three-point win over Long Beach State this past week and are playing Tulsa tonight after I record. So again, I'm hoping to watch this game. I'll have a little bit more information for you, but by the time you're listening to this, this game will have already occurred. They are a top 65 offense in the country, according to Ken Palm, but they are bad defensively. That has been the biggest issue for the Lions so far this year. They also play a very slow pace. So when you play a slow pace, similar to St. Mary's, you got to be really good on the defensive end of the floor. Otherwise, it kind of it makes it a lot more difficult to come back from getting down in games, and I think that's what we've seen a lot with the Lions. They got two great guards, Joe Quintana, Eli Scott, averaging 17 and 16 points per game, respectively, and they got a big game against New Mexico State coming up on the 11th, and then they got Nevada, who I think is playing every school in the WCC this year on the 18th. Next up, Pacific, the Tigers, four and five on the year. Ken Palm has them 174 last week. Ken Pump had them 158. And I commented that I thought that was abnormally high for a team that at the time had only beat one Division I school. Uh, They've gone 0-2 since then in their, their march through the Big West Conference. They played at UC Davis and Cal State Fullerton, lost to both those schools, which obviously hurt them significantly in the Ken Palm Ratings. Uh, Ken Palm likes them defensively, has them 124th in the country, but they really struggle to score. They're not a good shooting team, 44.5% from the field on the year, only 65% from the free throw line. Just don't have enough horses to really consistently put the ball through the net. Jeremiah Bailey is their best player, averaging 14 and 5.5 rebounds per game. Their party through the Big West continues. Like I said, they already played Davis and Fullerton 0 for 2. On those ones. they got San Jose State on the 11th in Santa Barbara. On the 14th, would be nice if Pacific could snag one of those games, but neither of those are going to be super easy for the Tigers uh, at this point. Next up, the Toreros from the University of San Diego, 5-5 five five on the year. Ken Palm has them 188. Last week, they were 167, so a pretty significant drop for them as well, mostly because they lost to Fresno State by 20, which definitely didn't help themselves, and their, their victory was over Cal Poly, but it was only by one point, and if we're being honest, Cal Poly pretty darn bad. One of the worst teams in the Big West Conference, so not exactly a uh, inspiring win to only get that one by one. It was also 52 to 51, so another pretty pretty gross game of basketball going on there. Uh they're barely a top 250 offense in the country. They just similar to Pacific, they just struggle to score the basketball. Uh they they were kind of started the year as this darling in the WCC, like everybody was was pretty excited about LMU, which has not gone very well. They were pretty excited about Santa Clara in some ways, which has gone well, obviously, USF. But San Diego is kind of the other team of like, ooh, maybe maybe the Toreros will do something. Hasn't, hasn't, been, hasn't been very good so far for them. Hopefully they can kind of rebound and, and, and have a better season once conference play begins. But they're shooting under 44% as a team, although they are shooting 39% from three, which leads me to believe they should just take a lot more of those because if you can only shoot 44% from two, but 39% from three, I'm not a mathematician, but it sure seems like that's the way to go. Just bomb, bomb from the outside as much as possible. Next big game is against the Run Rebels of UNLV on the 22nd. Next, we got Pepperdine. Pepperdine is 3-8 on the year, 227 in Ken Palm. Been a really rough year. For the Waves, which is kind of unfortunately not too surprising considering the amount of talent lost from that roster last year with Colby Ross graduating as one of the best players in school history. Kessler Edwards graduating, going to the NBA, uh, something that they have not done a lot of in this school's history. So excellent for those two players. Last year was their chance, though, and this year they're kind of going to be riding that cellar line in the WCC, unfortunately. They're 1-2 and since we last spoke. 13 point loss to Nevada, 12 point loss to the Gauchos of Santa Barbara. They did earn a 13-point win over San Jose State, so that's kind of a nice little, little feather in the cap, I suppose. Uh, Jan Zidek has been their best player. He's averaging 12 points, four rebounds, but he's shooting the ball really poorly. Just bad field goal percentages, something that's somewhat uncharacteristic from him in his previous years with the waves. So something that hopefully will will correct itself as time goes on because they really need him to shoot better with the rock in his hands. Houston Maletti has been the kind of the rising star for the for the Waves and for the conference. Really, is one of the best freshmen that we've seen that wasn't expected. You know, in the way that Chet Holmgren obviously was, uh, is averaging eleven and a half points, four point two boards, two assists per game, shooting thirty six percent from beyond the arc. There's every year. There's really good guards that crop up on the non Big Three teams in the conference. It looks like Meletti's going to be the next one in line for that, and I'm excited to see how his career progresses. The Waves got Oregon on the 21st of this month. And last, but I guess least, is the Portland Pilots. They are 7-3 and three on the year, even though Ken Palm does not like them at all, 295. They have not played very good opponents. They're 0-1 since the last episode, losing to the Virginia Military Institute. I saw VMI and did not ever even guess correctly what VMI stood for. I was shocked to find out who VMI was the key debts is their mascot. They're two hundred and forty third in Ken Pom, but they are a Division I program. Seven and three is great. If you're the pilots, that's great. They they don't care about the Ken Pom ratings. You know, they don't care that they're they're gonna finish towards the bottom half, if not the very end of the WCC rankings. This is a program that needed needed a, a new face. They needed a change. They really labored through the Terry Porter era. It was a, a mistake of a hire. They paid for it with him winning, I believe, seven games in the WCC in four years, one in the last two years. It was really, really rough. Now Shante Leggins has got this team in the right direction, a whole new roster, not a single returning player who was on scholarship last season. They got three guys averaging over 15 points per game. They're shooting 80% as a team from the free throw line, which absolutely blew me away. That is a ridiculous statistic. It's probably going to change as the year goes on, but my word, would that be nice to ever see a Gonzaga team shoot anywhere close to 80% from the free throw line. I'm excited about the future of this team. I would love to see them at least crawl out into the middle of the WCC in time. Uh, again, Leggins has got this team in the right direction. Even if Ken Palm doesn't think they're a very good team and the WCC slate will probably prove that to be accurate. I'm still happy that this team is at least moving in the correct direction. All right. Tomorrow is Andy Locke's listener-submitted hot takes. Excited slash nervous to see what you all come back with after these last week of games for the Zags. And then, of course, on Friday, we're going to preview the Washington game, assuming that happens because of the COVID situation that has been going on with the Huskies. All that right here on the Locked on Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, available on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Help me get over 200 subscribers as we head into the rest of the non-conference slate. Finally, thank you to all of you who make this show your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen in the Locked on Bets podcast. Locked on Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs. It's hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.